Praise God. Amen. Well, um, we are at the last of six messages about Here I Am. Um, this week's one is uh, Here I Am Willing to Trust. And um, I want to kind of just orientate you before we really get into the, the passage where this is from. Obviously, if you've been a, around for this, you know, this is us journeying through the Bible where people have said, Here I Am, in response to God. And we're getting to the last person. And the, the, the focus of this week is about this thing about trust. So I want to ask you two questions. They're rhetorical. That means you don't shout out the answer. You just kind of consider them in your own mind. The first one would be, do you have faith in God? And by that, I don't mean are you a Christian. I mean, have you put your faith in God? Do you have faith that God is who he says he is and he'll do what he's going to do? You might want to ask yourself that question. Do I have faith in God? And I want to use a particular, slightly different word to ask maybe the same question it might seem to you, but particularly I want to ask you, if you have faith in God, in what ways are you trusting him? In what ways are you trusting him? My guess is the answer to the first question is pretty unanimous. I'm suspecting most people are like, yeah, I have faith in God. But our answers to in what ways am I trusting him may be different to each of us uh, and may be few and far between or they may be boundful. I don't know. But just to ask yourself, am I trusting God in the way I'm living my life, in the things that I'm doing? We hear a lot in church about faith. We, we, we live a walk of faith and this, this is a, you know, without faith is impossible to please God and all these things about faith, which is so true. But I want to pick on the word trust and give a little bit of, um, uh, it might feel a bit arbitrary to you, but it's important to me, the difference between faith and trust. So let me do it just with a couple of verses from the Bible. This isn't exactly where we go. This is a foundation for this. So if I think about faith, then just think of this verse from Hebrews 11, the famous verse on faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So just understand, when I'm talking about the difference between faith and trust, faith is an inner thing, it's an assurance, a conviction, something you feel deep within you. That's what I mean when I'm using the word faith. Faith is the assurance. I have something within me that just assures me that the thing I've hoped for is going to happen. I've got a conviction that even if I haven't seen it, I believe it will happen. That is what I'm going to say is the definition of faith. But this verse from Proverbs says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths the kind of distinction I want to make for us here is that faith is an inner thing it's really important really important it's an inner thing but trust is an outer thing it's faith starts on the inside this conviction within but trust is where we put it into action in our ways in our paths, in the things that we do. So let me bring this to life with a, a story. You might have heard this story before. Lots of preachers use this story because it's a really great illustration. And when I looked up on the internet last night, I realised it's not even potentially not exactly true, but it's a great story. Part of it's true. The part that's definitely true is there was a chap called Charles Blondin in 1859, and he was a tightrope walker. And uh, he, was, he would do amazing feats of tightrope walking. This is, this is for definite for true. And, um, and it's definitely true that he actually put a tightrope across Niagara Falls. And he tightroped across Niagara Falls. 
and he tightroped across Niagara Falls blindfold. He actually tightroped across Niagara Falls, stopped in the middle, and cooked an omelette. This man's right. He was quite renowned in his day. The bit that's got extended in this, which we don't know if it's true or not, but preachers like to talk about it, and it'll work well for today, is one of his tricks was he would go across the, the tightrope with Niagara with a wheelbarrow. And everyone's cheering him on. It's amazing, this Charles Blondin, what he can do. It's amazing. And he's going across to the wheelbarrow. And he gets to the other end. He comes back with a wheelbarrow. And then he gets, he says, who wants to jump in the wheelbarrow? And nobody wants to jump in the wheelbarrow. One of the stories on the internet is that someone did. I don't think it happened, but it's a great illustration. There's a difference here between them having faith that he can do this and jumping in the wheelbarrow, which is trust. It's like, well, your actions are going to put that, you know, you're going you're to put that faith, that belief, that confidence, that assurance, that conviction. Yeah, he's amazing. Look what he can do to trust, which is I'm going to actually get in the wheelbarrow. I'm going to put it into practice. And so I want us to think this morning about here I am willing to trust, to put my faith into action, for it not just to be an inner thing, but it's a flow onto the outer thing. And so we are going to get to here I am, someone who says here I am, and the here I am is about trust. And so this here I am is actually from the New Testament. We've been journeying through all the Old Testament. I've been trying to stitch the story together for you of where all these characters fit together. And then we do a massive time warp forward into the New Testament, into the days of Jesus and the early church. And so where we are in the story, we're going to be in the book of Acts. If you wanted to get your Bible ready for this, we're going to be in the book of Acts. And, and so the book of Acts starts really at the end of Jesus' ministry. Jesus has ministered. He's been crucified. He's been raised from the dead. He's been ascended to heaven. This is where we start in the book of Acts. Chapter 1 just kind of wraps up that story. We hear of Jesus commissioning the church and he ascends. And then the, the story of Acts is the story of the early church. And you start to see a few things happen before we get to our here I am that are important context for you to really grasp the, the, the trust bit, the putting faith into action bit. We have the day of Pentecost in chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit comes and the church really is born and, and, and revival breaks out. Peter preaches, massive growth, lots of church growth. We've gone from very few who were staying faithful to Jesus at the cross others that Jesus appeared to, and then when the Pentecost comes and the Holy Spirit comes, people really start to receive this gospel and start to convert. And then what follows in the next few chapters is this kind of cycles where you see the church growing, great miracles occurring, but then also great opposition occurring. And don't kind of don't separate the story of um, the early church from the story of Jesus. This is only days, weeks, months after Jesus has been, and, and the, the, the religious rulers at the time want to get rid of Jesus. They crucify him. They, you know, that, that's, their, that's their campaign to, to squash that out. They're the ones who also goes to Pilate and says, you know, put a guard in front of the, the, the stone, in front of the, um, the tomb, because they, this, these people are going to try and rise up again. They're going to try and tell stories about Jesus. They're trying to squash the whole thing about this Christian faith. And so this produces this cycle of opposition so as the church is growing so is opposition and it's not it's not an exact parallel at all to what's going on within the middle east right now but you we have a very real and present 
reality in the Middle East right now of what happens when religious and people groups fight amongst each other. And it, it's real. It's real. If you're living out in that region, it's very real and very savage. And, and it threatens your life and people have lost their lives. This is real. And in that same region 2,000 years ago, a similar but different conflict is going on between two religious parties. The religious rulers in the Jewish faith at the time, we wanted to squash out the Christian faith as it starts to grow. And, and in the midst of that story, a character appears on the scene called Saul. We read about him in Acts 7. Again, this is all just context, but just read this. This is um, the stoning of Stephen. So Stephen is stoned. It says, they cast him, that's Stephen. I didn't read all the verses leading up to this. Then they cast him, Stephen, out of the city and stoned him. They killed him. And the witnesses, these are the people who have thrown the stones, laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he calls out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Just want you to kind of step into that reality that the Christian faith, the Christian church, is starting to grow, and then it's moved from just opposition to death. Stephen is stoned to death. And then from that, Saul, one of the great instigators of it, becomes the, the propelling force in the early church to squash this out. And this ravaging, it says, goes on so much so that people start scattering the region. They start heading off wherever they can. This is like a flashpoint where everything starts to turn from this point onwards. It's no longer a, uh, we're just going to shout at each other. It's turning violent, and people are losing their lives. And this man, Saul, is the one who's really stirring up. He's the one who's advocating it. He's the one who's going house to house looking for Christians, dragging them out, taking them off to prison. And when you think about prison in 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, don't think about the prisons we've got now. And don't think about the justice system we have now either. This is a biased system that's dragging people off to get them killed. So who's the one who says, here I am? It's not Saul. It's a man called Ananias. This is where I want us to see. I want you to hear all that backstory for you to really grasp the challenge that's laid at Ananias' feet by the Lord. This is what we read in Acts 9. I'm going to read 19 verses of this. So it's a bit of a story, but I want you to hear all this. But Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And he asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus. It's fascinating, just to pause for a moment. At some point, go on the internet and Google the, um, a map of the Middle East around Jesus' day. We get used to these different names nowadays, but Damascus is up in Syria. That's where Damascus is. They're in Jerusalem. That's the bit, if you look on the map, that's at the moment between the West Bank and Israel and lots of conflict going on in those places. There's, a, there's Gaza's on the map as well. All this region that we'll be getting in our news is, is, was back there. And so Paul, who's in Jerusalem, says, this gospel message has got as far as Damascus up in Syria. Can you send me that way? 
So asked for send letters to Damascus. So if he found anyone belonging to the way, that was the title of the, the Christian church, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he's seen a vision of a man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Just think about everything I've just said about this man and about what's going on. And God says to Ananias, I want you to go and see him. I want you to go and see that man. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem, and he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. Ananias, this man who says, here I am willing to trust you, God. It's a big ask when you really step into the story. So I want to take a bit of time for you to think about that. Think about the the ravages of this conflict that's going on in 2,000 years ago. This man who's going around arresting people, imprisoning them, getting them stoned, getting them persecuted, getting them killed. And God comes to Ananias and says, I want you to go and see that man. And clearly, we know Ananias knows about Saul. His reputation, even up in Damascus, they've heard about him from Jerusalem, and they've heard that he's coming our way. That persecution that's happening is coming our way, and the man who's in charge of it, he's coming in and sort that out. He's got the authority of the high priest. He's going to come in and start attacking us as well. And God says to Ananias, go speak to him. Go see him. Go pray for him. God says, trust me, Ananias, this guy's changed. I've got a mission for him. And I know we, because we know these stories and we read them and we can feel like, oh, of course, but I'm not sure I would feel so confident back then. So confident to know, well, okay, well, all this history this man's got, all this reputation he's got about him, all the evil that he has inflicted upon the church, I think God's telling me I've got to go and speak to him. It's quite a big ask. 
Ananias puts his faith that God is speaking. And you and I all know there's times we think God's speaking. And we're like, well, maybe it wasn't, maybe it wasn't God, maybe it was just me. There's no telling us how God spoke to him. So often I think we superimpose like this voice out of heaven. But it doesn't actually tell us how he does. And I strongly suspect Ananias, like all of us, has his doubts, has his moments of going, what if I've got this wrong? Ananias has faith that God is speaking, but that faith isn't just a, wow, I really believe you, God. He's got to put it into action. And I love the little bit of detail in that story where Saul goes to see him and he says he walks in and says to him, Brother Saul. I think that's amazing. He kind of tells you something about his confidence that God is who he is, that God can be trusted. He walks in, he's not like, just, just in case, I don't know if you're expecting me, or he walks in with this confident boldness that says, Brother Saul, you're my brother. God says you've changed. I've heard all the past, but God says you've changed, and I'm going to trust him that he's true to his word. He puts his faith into action. This action word that we're calling trust. And God does amazing things. You know, for whatever reason, God has left Saul blinded for three days with the purpose of Ananias coming and praying over him. And he receives his sight. And from there, he stays and he ministers in the church of Damascus. And Paul's ministry begins to grow. Now, this, this series we've been doing, six weeks of, the, of these different things about here I am. It's funny, actually, you know, I don't prepare all six messages in advance. I kind of have a rough outline, and then when I get to each week, I prepare the sermon. And when I got to the week of here I am willing to listen, I thought, that's weird. This is the, this is the crux of the series, actually, right in the middle, the listening to God. Of course, you can't, you know, if you don't hear God, you won't hear him speaking, and then you won't respond saying, here I am. But as I got to this one, I'm like, no, actually, this is the crux of it. If you don't trust God... Think back to the first week, willing to sacrifice. The trust that says, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to trust God that I'm going to give this thing up for God. I'm going to put my faith into action. I'm be willing to give this thing up for God. Abraham put that into action. When he took his son up to the mountain, he's putting it into action. The, the, the willing to leave is an action word. It's a, it's a, it's a doing thing. It's a trusting God. It's a, not just putting mental faith or some sort of heart feeling of conviction. It's going, I'm actually going to leave where you've placed me, God, because I have faith that you are speaking. The going, the willing to go somewhere is an action piece. Even listening, the faith that says, I'm going to take time to listen, we spoke about it on the week of here I'm willing to listen, that so often we're busy, 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 and we never create the space to stop and listen. So even waiting is a trusting thing, it's a doing thing. The, 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 the faith without action bit of it is, I'll just get on with my life and God will interrupt me when he wants to. He, and he's more than able to interrupt you when he wants to. But the faith into action, the trusting bit is, I'm going to carve out some time to listen to God because I believe he's going to speak to me. And I'm going to put that mental belief, that heartfelt conviction into action in the way I order my day and structure my time and create space for him to speak to me. 
Here I am willing to speak is a faith into action thing. I think God might have spoken to me and he's told me to share this thing with Darren and well, what if I get it wrong? And the putting it into action is actually sharing it, is speaking it out. God's calling me to share my faith with someone at work and oh, I don't know if I should and it's putting it into action. And I can't, um, you don't have to know this level of detail about me, but I feel bad if I don't share it. I have way too many times where God challenges me and I'm like, oh, you know, literally I had this the other day. Oh, I'll share these things just to be vulnerable with you, right? Just, we, we've got our, um, our bathroom being done at the moment. And um, for that, some of you know, Mark Page is in our house doing that. And, um, and Mark the other day is talking about how much his wrist is hurting him. I'm like, oh, now a bit of time to offer to pray for him. So I helped bandage up his arm. Opportunity missed. Opportunity missed. Faith. No action. Now, praise God, he'll give me plenty more opportunities. He'll be with us for a few more weeks to come. And I'm sure he'll have more ailments and God will keep kicking me out the backside saying, go on, go on, pray for him. We all have these times and moments when God says, put your faith into action. You know, I I think um, this faith word, as much as I'm, I'm, you know, I believe in faith, I really do, I really believe it's biblical and everything, but I think it can sound so internal that we can't grasp it. Like, I've got to wait for faith. But the funny thing is there's a whole kind of chicken and egg thing that goes on with faith and, and, and action and trust, which is sometimes we receive the faith to put it into action, and sometimes we put it into action and it builds our faith. And so sometimes I think if we hold out this faith thing like, I just need to pray for more faith, God's going, well, why don't you just put it into action? Why don't you just take a step of faith? Why don't you trust me and do what you think I might be saying and you will see and feel faith arise? I started to think about this in the Bible, different people. We started this series with Abraham. It's kind of obvious. Abraham has to put that faith into action by journeying with his son, with all the wood, up the mountain, putting the wood out, laying his son. There's an action piece there. But also, like, you know, Joseph had this dream at the beginning, that his brothers would bow down. And he had to actually put the faith into action that that dream was not just cheese, if they had cheese then, you know, that gave him a funny dream, but it was actually God speaking. And, and so much so, the faith that God would speak through dreams, put into action, that he's bold enough to go to Pharaoh and say, I'll interpret Pharaoh's dream, because God speaks to me through dreams. Or Joshua has this word that they're going to take Jericho... Another one you can find on the map. Look at the Middle East, you'll see all this stuff, right? He's going to take Jericho and they have to put it into action by actually marching around the city seven times, blowing trumpets. What a crazy thing to do in that action piece of putting faith into action by trusting that God is going to give them the breakthrough in their battle there. David's faith that, that a sling and a stone is going to be able to take down the giant when the whole army stand there quivering in their boots. That's an action piece of putting faith in trusting in God. Elijah's on the mountaintop with the, 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 the prophets of Baal, and he's putting faith into action as he pours water onto the altar that he's going to expect God to bring fire down and set on fire as a demonstration of God's 
power. He, he's putting this faith into action. The Bible's full of these people. Esther has such a belief in God's promise to protect her, her people that she has the boldness and audacity to approach the king who could put his thumbs down and go, that's it, your head's coming off. She has faith in God and she puts it into action. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they're trusted in faith in God that he is the one and only God who should be bowed down to, that they're going to face the fiery furnace. Do you see, the Bible's littered with people who are not just having faith, they're putting it into action. In the New Testament, the woman with the issue of blood has such faith that Jesus is the healer that she's going to fight her way through the crowd to find him, to try and just grab onto a bit of his clothes. So when God says, you can trust me, the intention is that it becomes an action, a doing thing. And like I said, when we trust God by our actions, we increase faith within us. Because we've activated faith. We've put it into action. And equally, when faith arises, we feel spurred on to put it into action, into trusting him. These two things fit together. And so where is God asking you to put your faith into action? What's the thing that you are right now holding on to God for that you might need to put into action? There may be something really personal for you that you need to kind of just search inside and say, well, what is that thing? But there's a lot of universal things for us as well. There may be something unique for you that you really are believing in God for, but often that belief that God is going to do something is led to, well, how am I going to live like he's going to do it? What's the action that I'm going to do that puts into motion the faith that's going on inside me? What's the outer work? You know, for some of us generically, I think we have faith to believe that the good news is good news for the world around us. That the gospel is the hope of the world. That we have a belief that Jesus is the answer. We believe that he can change people's lives. The action is me sharing my faith. Not just believing that he's the answer, but putting it into action that trusting that that gospel message is going to change someone's life. Uh, we believe, I, I, I hope we believe, that God cares for the poor and the rejected and the marginalised and the outcasts and he loves them and he cares for them and his heart's for them. And our action is, how do we reach out? Through you know, either individual opportunities or through the many great charities and organisations that churches have mobilised to reach into those communities, to go, I want to put my faith into action. You know, we, we believe that God has called us to be part of a church. That being together is the body ministering to each other. We put that into action by going, I'm going to order my week and prioritise my week so that I can be gathering with the saints on a Sunday. It could be on a Saturday or a Friday. Who cares when you meet, but that we get together and we fellowship because we believe God has called the church to be the church to gather as a church and to, to, to encourage one another, to lift one another up. That's our faith into action. Our faith that we believe he is our provider, that he says he's going to provide for me, is an action word in the way that we give. Not just to the church and our tithes, but the way we give generously to the needs around us because we know that God is providing for us. It's an action piece. 
our faith that we do believe that God answers prayers. And, and we put that into action by actually praying, by actually bringing those things in prayer to God, by actually offering to others, can I pray for you, like I might example, to actually take opportunities to pray because we put the faith that God answers prayers into action. You know, I believe God is asking people to put their faith into action. He's saying, I've got this. Uh, let me put it this way. I'll give you a little example of this. So obviously, you know, we've got the great news that Chris Nanny um, uh, welcomed Joshua into the world this week. Now, I've been around their house for the last couple of weeks and months. They've bought, before that baby arrived, they bought a cot, a pushchair, a car seat, baby grows, they've decorated a room in the expectation that a child was going to arrive. They've made that preparation. But can you imagine what it would look like if they'd have started decorating the baby's room, buying a cot, buying a pram before they were even pregnant? Because although birth is fragile and anything can go wrong and we all worry about these things and we pray that everything goes through successfully and all these things and praise God for that, you're on a journey when you're pregnant to an arrival of a baby and you do that preparation. But it's a very different statement of faith if you start getting everything ready and you're not even pregnant yet because we know actually getting pregnant is not a done deal either. That's a fraught process. There's no guarantees either. Do you see that if we've got a promise from God about something, often we're a bit like, I'm not having to go Chris Nanny about Brian Prams when they're eight months pregnant and it makes logical sense. But as an example, it, we're like that. That's like when I start to see the signs appearing and we're almost there, then I can start to step into action. And most of the Bible stories like, no, you're not seeing anything. There's no sign whatsoever. Can you live like it's going to happen? Can you put it into action? Can you activate faith? But before all the warning signs are there, all the little confirmations that are there, the only thing you've got is God said. That's, that's, that's it. God said. His word said it. Oh, I've had a promise given to me by God. And that's it. Adonias, all he's got is God saying, go see this man. He's changed. I've got a mission for him. That's all he's got. He's not like got an opportunity to do a recce of like, oh, let me go speak to the people who are on the road with him first. Did, was there some sign? Did he seem like he changed? You know, All he's got is God saying it. He's got no sign of everything else and walks into the house. Brother Saul. Now, I said to you earlier, I didn't know why I shared it at the time, but now I know why I did. So I think many of us struggle with this. And what's weird at times is we have kind of different kind of faith into action for different things. Some people are really good at mobilizing their faith for some things, but then find it difficult in others. And so it's not like a blanket thing. There are some things that we really find it easier to put into action our faith, and others we're like, oh, I find that difficult. And just I wanted to kind of normalize it to say this is the challenge and the call and the, and, 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 and the exhortation that we put our faith into action but just also recognizing that we sometimes struggle. And even some of the, quotes, greatest or most senior or whatever you want to put that word around, struggle. 
Paul, or Saul, he's got both names, has this Damascus Road experience up in Damascus. It's quite a way, actually. You look on the map up in Syria. Ananias has this word from God. Go speak to him. And Ananias goes. We don't really picture an awful lot. He doesn't do the Gideon, I'll put a fleece out. Maybe God's speaking, maybe he's not. He's like, okay, I've tried arguing with God about it. And he said to me, no, no, I've got a mission for him. Well, I'm going to go. And off he goes. Isn't Ananias brilliant? What a faithful man he is. You keep reading Acts 9. I want to read a couple more verses to you in this, right? So this is what happens after Saul stays. Many days had passed and the Jews plotted to kill him. They're plotting to kill Saul, right? So Saul, who's with part of the Jews, is now up in Damascus. He's had this conversion. He starts to preach about things. He stays there many days and the Jews there plot to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. So the tables are turned now. Saul, the one who was trying to kill all the Christians, is now on the other side of it. The Jews are now trying to kill Saul. But the disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall. So it's in Damascus. The opening of the wall, they lower him in a basket so he can escape Damascus. And when he'd come to Jerusalem, so he's escaped Damascus, he's gone back to Jerusalem. Do you remember earlier? All this persecution happens in Jerusalem. Everyone starts to scatter except the apostles. All the apostles all those senior people, Peter, James, John, all the big names, they're all in Jerusalem. And he attempted to join the disciples, and they were afraid of him, for they didn't believe that he was a disciple. <laughs> all those big names, Ananias has just accepted it. He's gone back to all the big cheese, the apostles, the disciples in Jerusalem, and they're like, no, 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 we're, we're worried about this. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the disciples and to declare to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. It took a Barnabas to help the apostles in Jerusalem step into faith, into action and trust that this man had changed. So there are great stories of people like Ananias who are like, yes, God has spoken. Okay, God, if you're seeing, I'm going to go for it. And there's also stories of those who go, going, well, I'm struggling. And it took a Barnabas to come along and say, no, guys, come on, let's trust God. We do believe in the gospel, don't we? We do believe that Jesus came to change people, don't we? We do believe he could even change a man like Saul, don't we? We should, we should believe that God has changed this man. He's actually transformed. That is the power of the gospel. It took Barnabas to come along and help them with their struggle. And so I really believe that's why God puts us in church. That's why God puts us with one another. That's why he not just requires us to just turn up at church, then shuffle out of the end, strangers with each other, but that we open up our lives with one another. We open up our struggles with one another. We open up our hopes and dreams and the things we're struggling to put into practice so that each of us can be a Barnabas to someone else and say, no, come on. Let's remind ourselves what the Word of God says. Let me stand with you in that. Let me help you put your faith into action. That's what Barnabas did. Yeah, there are great Ananiases who just go for it straight away. My experience is most people are like the apostles and the disciples in Jerusalem. They need a bit of help. They need someone coming alongside them. So we can gather and pray and have faith for one another. Have you noticed that you can have more faith for someone else's problem than your own? Right? I don't think that's an accident. 
That is God bringing a church together, a people together that says, I, I can believe that for you. And be an encourager, not a condemner. Barnabas, his name wasn't Barnabas. They gave him the name Barnabas. His name was Joseph originally, if I remember rightly. They called him Barnabas because the word Barnabas said, meant son of encouragement. This guy is so encouraging, we're just going to rename you. You're just an encourager, Barnabas. That was so much of what he did. He was an encourager. He didn't come along to the apostles and go, you guys, you're the ones who were with Jesus, Ananias. He never ever met Jesus up in Damascus. He believed God. He didn't come along like that. He comes as an encourager. He says, let me introduce you to Saul, this man that God can change. You should welcome him into our family, into our church, into our fellowship. He's a changed man. It took a Barnabas. And so I, I just want to encourage you this morning to be someone who says, here I am, willing to trust. And if you're struggling with that, to be someone who says, I need a Barnabas around me. Or maybe you're called to be the Barnabas for someone else that encourages them when their faith is wavering and when they're like, oh, I find this really difficult. I don't know. Does God really do that? Maybe he doesn't do that for me. Maybe he does that for you. That you could be a Barnabas that would encourage them and say, no, let's pray about it together. Let me encourage you. That's why I think Testimony Sunday is so important for our church. To hear those real life stories of the challenges and the breakthroughs and the faithfulness of God. Because they lift our faith. That we go, if God can do that for them, they're not actually that special when God did that for them. They can do it for me. These ordinary stories of our faith. I want to... Um, I want to close with an opportunity to pray for people. I, I just felt when I was preparing that um, that some people needed prayer. And the prayer that people needed, I felt God say, was, was that bit that's like, I'm struggling to put this into practice. I'm struggling to put my faith, my head knowledge, my I really do believe God, I do, I do, but, but putting it into action is a tougher thing. And as we kind of close and give an opportunity for those who'd like to be prayed for, um, I want to also read to you another bit of the Bible from Acts. So I said to you, Acts starts with Jesus ascending, Pentecost coming, and then this cycle of growth and persecution and opposition and death threats and sometimes stoning and all this stuff happens. Um, and then we get to Acts 9 with, with Saul. But if we go back to Acts 4, while this is all going on, I want you to hear the, the prayer of the disciples, those who are following Jesus in Jerusalem at the time. This is what it says in Acts chapter 4. So the background is, in this cycle of opposition, some of the disciples have been taken into prison by the Jewish leaders. They've basically been threatened. They've been told, if you keep doing this, you know what happened to the bloke you were following? you keep doing this we're going to get you you can you can leave now as long as you never speak about jesus again you know we can just call it quits but if you do watch out this is what happened when they were released they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them and when they heard it they lifted their voices together to god and said sovereign lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. 
For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now, Lord, look upon their threats. It's interesting. He doesn't pray that the threats would go away. He prays, grant to your servants to continue to speak the word with boldness. Give us the boldness, God, to keep going despite the opposition. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Give us boldness, God. Like that man who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And when they'd prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. When they'd prayed, the place that they were gathered was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak. Continued to trust. Continued to keep doing the very thing they've been told not to do. Because they'd been given the boldness. And I just encourage to read... The, the disciples' prayer was that, Lord, give me boldness. Help me put my faith that's on the inside into action on the outside by trusting you in the way I live my life and the things that I do. So what I want to do is I'm going to pray. I'm going to let you guys go get some cup of tea if you want, but I want to invite, if you want prayer this morning, just come at the front. Um, and if you feel available to pray for others, then you can do that as well. Um, it's not just me praying for people. We're just going to pray for boldness. So let me just pray for us all generically and then anyone who wants individual prayer can come. Lord, we thank you. Oh, Lord, we thank you for this word. Thank you for the stories that we get to read in here and the verses we get to encourage us with. Lord, we thank you for the humanity of people in this word of God, Lord, and we thank you for the way it speaks to us. And Lord, we come to you as a people, Lord, who believe in you and have faith in you. And we need boldness to put more of that faith into action. That we would live our lives like we believe what you've said. We pray for boldness, God. Where there may be opposition. Whether that's physical opposition from real people opposing us. Or whether that's our own mind opposing us and telling us, no, no, you can't do that. You're not worthy of that. That's not you. Wherever this opposition's coming from, Lord, we pray that you would give us boldness to keep doing what you've called us to do. Help us to be a Barnabas, encouraging each other to put our faith into action, Lord, we pray. We thank you, God, you're faithful and true and loving. Amen. Amen. Amen.